Right, Forge family. Last time together we were in Ephesians. Paul shifted his focus from instructions specifically to the new Gentile converts to the general needs of the churches spread throughout Asia Minor that would read and apply his epistles by faith. In chapter 4, verse 25, the apostle began to lay out a series of significant sins. Now, mind you, there are none that are insignificant. But these were sins that the churches of Asia Minor were confronting amongst the new believers. Paul launches with the command to lay aside sin. Yes, be righteously angry, but do not sin. Further, another form of anger, one that holds bitterness and irritation, must be laid down before end of day, before you lay your head. If that's allowed to remain, that creates a marked-off zone that creates a vulnerability. It creates access for the deceiver. Paul commands that we stop giving that access to the enemy. Lay it down, confess it, be forgiven and cleansed. And then Paul moved to the lifestyle of thievery that infests the Gentile cultures, finds its way into the church. Again, Paul commanded it to be laid down and replaced by honest labor and generosity from the proceeds. So if that's part of life, run to Jesus, drop that sin, be cleansed and forgiven and empowered by Holy Spirit to begin life anew. Paul takes on corrupt, rotten speech. Again, with the command to strip it off, lay it at the feet of Jesus, repent and be forgiven. Be fulfilled again, be filled again with Holy Spirit to speak with purity, to lift up the ones who hear your counsel and words. The avalanche of external sins listed are set opposed to Paul's command of, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He's the one who seals you up for salvation against the day of redemption. Finally, Paul lays out a rash of violent verbal habits, sins of the mind and the mouth, followed by the antidote provided by Holy Spirit, being kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here is a foundation stone of church life, of family life, of marketplace life in a godly way. Apply that antidote because it is God in Christ who has already forgiven you. Let's pray. God of purity, God of righteousness, who imparts and implants into us by Holy Spirit a holy lifestyle. We so need you. The America of today looks and sounds like much of the Gentile culture of Paul's day. Desperate, wrapped in anger and sin, self-driven, self-driven, greed, accountable to only oneself. May we be those who shine in darkness as we wait for your light to burst upon us and upon our nation. In Jesus' mighty name. All right, Forge family, turn with me to Ephesians 5. I do not believe there's a chapter break here. Now, remember, the original Greek manuscripts are all capital letters with no punctuation. Paul just continues teaching to the churches. 
with verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God, as a fragrant aroma. The therefore looks back at the raft of sin that is to be stripped off and dropped even as the new garments of grace in Christ are put on. Therefore, having begun the, quote, walk in love rhythms, the believers in Ephesus and here in Forge Church are to become imitators of God. The Greek word is mimesis. means to imitate, to follow the pattern, to keep to the template or the mold that the Lord God has laid out in Christ by Holy Spirit. It's not just be an imitator, it is become an imitator, which speaks of ongoing practice, failure, repentance, pick it up, get on the horse, ongoing obedience. It's not a one-off event. In it is the love of Christ for each of us, displayed in his voluntary giving up of himself as an offering and a sacrifice. Now here Paul harks back to the offerings of animals on the bronze altar set before the tabernacle or the temple. So whole burnt offerings were sacrificed, okay, and then consumed in fire, releasing the aroma of roasting meat deemed a sweet savor as clouds of smoke rose up to the Lord. Four verses previously, Paul had challenged the rotten, corrupt speech of the Gentiles, pointing out that when it was loosed, the fragrance of corruption and death was present. In contrast, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross as the Lamb of God That was what released a sweet aroma to the Father, knowing that all sin for all time had been forgiven, been dealt with. The atonement was then offered to all, but could only be received as a gift, received by faith, just like grace. We're challenged to imitate Jesus, who laid down his life for us. We're to imitate his love, for others, all of them. Now, Paul in verses 3 and 4 introduces another vast influence in the lives of Asia Minor that befouls individuals and ruins churches. Quote, but do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among the saints And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So all over the known world, there were temples set apart to idolatrous worship of some figure, some ruler, some demonic spirit, some legend. And without exception, all, all of them incorporated some form of ritual prostitution or broadly affirmed it. In Corinth, the temple of Aphrodite was staffed with more than 1,000 male and female prostitutes who flooded from the temple down into the city center in the evening, selling themselves. On the bottom of their sandals was embossed 
a set of Greek letters spelling out, follow me. And everywhere they put their foot in the dirt and in the mud, it called people to them. Same is true in measure of the temple of Diana in Ephesus. The income for prostitution funded the treasuries of the temples. The males of the culture were profligate to the extreme, indulging themselves in all manner of deviance. Then, come age 30, they would seek a bride, one half their age, to keep their house, bear their children, but who had no say over their past, present, or future promiscuity. Into the church of Ephesus came a mix of those exposed to forms of fornication so as to wound and enslave them. Paul said that immorality, impurity, and greed were not to be named among the members of the churches. Phew! That three-word conviction of believers pointed to an impassioned sexuality and sensuality. It is way out of bounds for believers. Paul was introducing, and by Holy Spirit, enforcing a whole new moral platform. Chastity. Never before nor after has purity been set out as, quote, walk this way. Christianity induced this new, introduced this new virtue into the world and then lived it out. Further, the common raw jokes, double entendre, repeated immoral poetry, and the resultant back-and-forth silly language were banished from the believer's vocabulary and use. <clears throat> Paul said that the giving of thanks was the antidote. So if you suddenly are engulfed and surrounded by the foul stuff, turn, bless his name, and giving thanks for his liberation in your life that such gutter language and lifestyle no longer has you in its grip. That said, much of what passes for television comedy and movie and video storylines are laced. They're just shot through with immoral phrases, jokes, etc. Heads up, family. Cling to the, quote, giving of thanks, unquote, to break away from those culturally approved, defiling ways. Now, verse 5 is one that other gospel writers and and speakers elaborate on. Quote, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. So first, impurity that is clung to and practiced. That's critical. You know, this is not a one-off thing. Impurity that is clung to and practiced a person who covets your body or has greed for your relationship with your wife or husband, a person who has set sexual sin on a pedestal to be worshipped and repeatedly served, is an idolater. None of those listed have any hope of an inheritance and entry into the kingdom of God and Christ. Paul already wrote to the Roman church addressing the counter-arguments of those who wished to be grossly immoral and free to do as they pleased. Because, obviously, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ has wiped away all sin, so it doesn't matter anymore and I can live just exactly like I want to. 
deviant. And Paul had an answer for that. He said, may it never be. Had Paul been alive at the presentation of of the um, Gnostic teachings that followed him a couple of decades later, at the presentation of that foul doctrine, that heresy, his response would have been just the same. May it never be, because the Gnostics said, your spirit is pure and permanent and it's clean. Your body, you can do whatever you want because it's passing away. And Paul's response would be, may it never be. <clears throat> Those who practice sin have no hope in Christ. William Barclay said, quote, the gravest disservice any man can do to a fellow man is to make him think lightly of sin. Paul pleaded with his converts not to be deceived with empty words which took away the horror from the idea of sin. F.F. Bruce said, We are to call sins by their names, however loathsome they are. Paul regarded extended conversations about such sins as dangerous to spiritual health. Alexander Pope gave this warning in verse, Vice is a monster of such frightful mien that to be hated needs but to be seen. But seen too often, familiar with his face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. Paul said, let no one deceive you with empty words. So it's verses 6 and 7. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Kent Hughes uh, one of the men that I have been blessed by as I study Ephesians, he had great insight into how to navigate this culture. <clears throat> the, quote, empty words we hear today go like this. Quote, well, God is too kind to condemn to hell those whose behavior doesn't measure up. Love will prevail. God is sympathetic with our frail human nature. Unquote. Now, these are clever reasonings but they do not convince God to turn aside his wrath. You see, there's a list in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. It's already there. He said it. He's not going to unsay it. This is what it says. Or, quote, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither shall fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor effeminate by by perversion nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. So this, if you will, damning list that Paul has held up with the purity of the gospel preaching across the whole empire is followed immediately in verse 11 of the same text. In it is hope for all. Quote, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God, unquote. <clears throat> so Forge family, across millennia, these words have had the same impact over and over. <clears throat> Men and women have come to Christ from a background of gross immorality who repented 
who laid down their deviance, who were washed clean and forgiven, and then Holy Spirit assigned them to carry the message of the risen Christ to their families, their classmates, their former partners in sin, and even some, well, even to governments. They became imitators of God. And such are some of us. Let's pray. Lord God, just as Holy Spirit moved in Paul to address the immorality that was pushing in on the church of Ephesus, that same Holy Spirit is with us, pushing back against the immorality of our culture around us. Thank you. As Paul wrote, we've been washed. We've been set to our intended use and place. We've been saved in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Lord, we overflow with gratitude and thankfulness and praise, and we would press in with our obedience. Help us to guard one another. In Jesus' name, amen.